This morning we're going to continue our series we're calling Understanding the Time as we uh, evaluate what's happening in the world around us. Today we're going to talk about education and I want to read a few verses from Paul's letter to the Ephesians and a little bit later we'll come back and hone in on one of them but just to set the context here are the first four verses of chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right and all the parents said. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may well be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, we ask you to be with us as our teacher, as our instructor. Send your Holy Spirit into every person in this room and impress upon us the importance of education in every sense of the word that we might serve Jesus more faithfully. I pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. So today is a special day in the Gooden family. It is October 11th, and this is the 20th birthday of my daughter Sophie, our firstborn. <laughs> And a special for her as well. 20 years ago, she came into this world knowing nothing. Right? I will never forget that day. Obviously, it's a first-time experience for me as my firstborn. So lots of things I'll never forget. But I don't know what I was expecting. But... After she was taken from her mother's arms and, and placed in the, the, the warming tray, cleaned up, the heat lamp on her so she would grow, you know, the, I walked over and, and, and she didn't cry that much. I thought she was going to cry a lot because everybody says that's what babies do. They cry. Well, she didn't cry very much. But she was looking, looking not just looking, but she was searching. I, I'm convinced that she was taking it all in. And I'll never forget that moment when I walked over toward her and I got close enough because, you know, I'd been taught that they can't see so well at that age. I got up close and our eyes met for the first time. And I, I looked into my daughter's eyes and I can't look at her now. <laughs> and I just, we, we connected and I thought she... She wants to know. She wants to learn. And she has proven that through her whole life. She's a, she's a student of life, student of, of the world. But she started out, like all of us, not knowing anything in that moment. She was a clean slate. Now, fortunately for her, she was born into a nation that puts a premium on education. And I mean that literally. The premium part. 2012, 2013, if you go to the Department of Education website, their estimates are that $1.15 trillion were spent in that school year on education. They didn't update the numbers. I don't know what it is today, but I'm sure it's not less. I don't even know how to write out $1.15 trillion. That's too many digits. It's a lot of money. And it keeps increasing how much money is spent on education. 
But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I knew then because of the word of God. And here's the thing we all have to know. Education is never neutral. There is never a circumstance where anybody is ever taught anything without some bias and objectivity. So she's had 20 years, and we've all had however many years we've had of learning, receiving teaching and input and instruction from others, and everybody who sends that input has some bias, some subjective element. And we need to be aware of that as we talk about education. So let's define our terms for a moment. The word education, it comes from the Latin. The root of it is the, uh, the duke part. If you've ever heard the term el duce or el duque or the duke, all those words come from that Latin word, which means leader. The duke, el duque is the leader. If you add the little prefix, e on it, it comes from the prefix x, which means out of. So education is to lead someone out of something. Well, you can figure out what it is we're leading people out of, right? It's, it's ignorance. You're in the state of not knowing, and somebody is going to lead you out of that state into the state of knowing. That's what education is to do. But it's never simply about facts. It's never just unbiased information. If you look up in dictionary.com or any of the dictionaries, education, it always includes things like values, beliefs, practices, morals, education is intended to take someone out of ignorance and into knowledge of information and understanding and wisdom. So every educational system, every educator comes with their perspective on not just the facts, but also how to understand and interpret those facts, how to apply them wisely. That's not good when the bias of the system is against the word of God and the truth of God. It's a problem. And we know this. Think about a, uh, a biology teacher. If you are a Christian biology teacher and you're in a government school, a public school, you are going to come across some of the sections of what you are supposed to teach. And you're going to say, hmm, the presupposition, actually it's not a presupposition, it's actually explicitly taught, of this textbook says that life is an accident. That life is the, the process of a mindless force and we have evolved over millions of years. And you're commitment to the word of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ says, I can't teach my children, my students that. So you're going to do everything you can to minimize those sections, to kind of dance around those sections. And if you can do so and keep your job, you want to introduce some other possibilities, right? Because you have a bias. You have a bias toward the truth of the word of God and you don't want to teach error. As someone who's teaching that class who comes from an atheist perspective is going to do just the opposite. If there's any hint of creationism, any hint of a biblical worldview, they're going to say, no, 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 we, we don't, we're not going to go there. We're not going to allow our students to entertain that. We're going to amplify. We're going to expound on this evolutionary theory idea so that our students don't think it's a theory anymore. 
but they believe it is the true fact of, of how life came to be. Or you get to the section on reproductive rights, or I'm sorry, the re, of reproductive system. You're going to go, there's a Freudian slip right there. You're going to go beyond, see, I have a bias. Uh, you're going to go beyond just the, the nuts and the bolts of anatomy and how the body works and how eggs are fertilized and that kind of thing. But that leads every single time to a discussion of who should be reproducing. Well, if you're a Christian, you're going to come to that with a bias and, and you're going to, again, do the best you can, keep your job, and maybe you don't talk about God's view of these things quite so much, but abstinence, the safety of abstinence and avoiding the STDs and all that, you're going to take whatever approach you can because you don't want to encourage your students to practice sinful behavior. If you're on the other side of things, you welcome the questions so that you can answer them and say anybody should be able to get together with anybody and it doesn't always have to lead to reproduction. Here are all the ways we can stop consummation and or even the life after fertilization. Your biases as a teacher always come into play. Every time I stand up before you on Sunday morning, I have subjective biases that I'm trying to persuade you to accept. You, you can't get away from it. All of this is to say, education always comes from a worldview. Every educator, every teacher, whether they are a formal teacher or an informal teacher, everybody has perspective of the world. We live in a culture where the government has taken control of our educational system and now the worldview that lies behind it is a secular worldview, is an atheistic worldview. It is a system that, want, that has, is so committed to the separation of church and state that they don't want the church to have any voice in the state-sponsored educational system. So we have to be aware of that. Those of us with children who are in those public schools, we have to be aware of that. And we have to realize the responsibility for raising our kids does not lie with the state. It lies with us. Now, I want to interject right here. We have some public school teachers in our body. And I want to say something I've said many times in the past. I'm thankful. When we talk about the system, when we talk about this, this whole thing, as parents, we have one responsibility, but as long as this system is secular and atheistic, I am thrilled that we have Christians in that system trying to improve it, trying to do something better. That's a good thing. What could happen if we infiltrated the entire governmental school system with Christians? Well, it'd be transformed. That'd be awesome. So don't hear me saying the public school system is, is bad and everybody has to get out of it, especially the teachers get out of it. But the system itself, let's not be naive, is driven by a secularist, atheistic worldview. If you have children in that system, you need to know that. I should give one more caveat. I'm not really trying to argue from methodology here. Not today. We, we had those discussions in other, in other times. There are dangers inherent in a so-called Christian school. There are dangers in homeschooling. 
in every single methodology there is, everybody has biases, everybody has weaknesses. So it's not like you can just check the box and say, I'm doing this with my kids and it's wonderful. No, you can't. No system is without its problems and challenges. So don't think you have the right answer just because you chose this option. That's not what today is about. Today is about Paul's admonition here in verse 4 to fathers. And if you're a single mother, then you're the head of the home, then it's you. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but instead of that, in contrast to that, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is the Lord Jesus. I was talking to a couple of people this week about this text and asking, what do you, what do you hear when you, when you hear that verse? What do you think of? And the response in the conversation was what I expected. We, we sort of think that Paul here is saying, fathers, your job is to make sure you have family devotions. Daily would be ideal. Weekly is not quite as good. Monthly, well, it's better than nothing. Uh, you know, at least four or five days. So have your family devotions. Do some praying. Maybe when they're real little, read a, a good little Bible picture book or something before they go to sleep. Uh, pray with them before they go to bed. Bring them to church and try to help them stay out of trouble. If we do that, check, check, check. Hey, I, I've raised my child in the Lord. Those are all good things. But let me ask you, has, has Jesus said, I am the Lord of bedtime and dinner and Sunday morning at 5210 Centennial, is that our address? At Centennial Boulevard from 1010 to whenever Doug stops talking. I'm Lord of those times, but I'm not really Lord of the rest of the time. I'm the Lord of your devotions and your Bible study programs, and I'm the Lord of Sunday school and sermons. But as soon as you walk out those doors, you've left my lordship and gone into the world that's just chaotic and out of control and ruled by somebody else. Jesus said that. After the resurrection, did he say, all authority in your living room and bedroom and church buildings has been given to me? No, of course not. All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus said, has been given by the Father to me. So the only worldview that is big enough to match Jesus' authority is that every single thing in the entire universe belongs to Jesus Christ. And he cares about it. And he reigns over it. And he rules over it. And he has a voice. He has something to say about it. And he says to you, you are to live in every arena Every institution, every moment of every day, you are to live to give me first place. Colossians 1. Some of you knew, like, oh, as soon as I hear that first place, I know where Doug's going with this. Colossians 1. Jesus is, is set up as the image of God. Paul says he's the image of God. All things were created for Jesus so that he would come to have first place. Does that include economics? That's not a rhetorical question. Does that include economics? 
Does that include entertainment? Does that include politics? Does that include recreation and hobbies? Is there anything you can think of that Jesus says, oh, I don't care about that. That's not part of my universe. It has been said that there's not a square inch in the entire universe that Jesus does not say, mine. I think that's really, really well put. Everything is to be brought under the lordship of Jesus. So when we're teaching, when we're studying about biology, it cannot, in, under any circumstance, be removed from the lordship of Jesus Christ. So no matter where your children are getting the actual anatomical and biological information, the, sort of the, the basic grammar, doesn't matter where they get that, your job fathers, mothers, parents, any Christian teacher, but especially here we're talking about fathers, your job is to make sure they connect the dots back to Jesus in studying the human body, in studying photosynthesis. If you're teaching math or your kids are studying math, our job as parents is to make sure our kids understand two plus two equals four because there is a rational God who made the universe. It has to equal four, and it will equal four every single time because Jesus doesn't change. It doesn't equal five no matter what people are saying. Two plus two always equals four because Jesus made it that way. And it matters. And if we're studying politics, we're studying cultures, social sciences as they are called, everything there is has to be attached to Jesus because he is its Lord. He's its creator. It was made for him. And there's an inherent danger in our society, even as Christian parents, to think, I'm going to trust the system, whatever that system is, and let them impart the knowledge and the information to my kids. Fathers, we are not allowed by Jesus Christ to do that. It's our job. Now, I didn't teach all the nuts and bolts. My wife did most of that. She walked them through the textbooks. She watched the videos with them. We, we homeschooled. She went through all of that. But my job was to engage and draw out and have conversations and make sure that once they get the basic grammar, the basic elementary understanding, I help them connect all of those things to Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful opportunity. It's, it's fantastic. Just the other night, uh, I think Krista and Abby were here for music team practice, so Gabe and Sophie and I had some time, and, and Gabe asked the question, Dad, is the universe expanding? Now, I am probably one of the least equipped people in this room to dig into the science of astronomy. That is not my strength. So I didn't just whip out some you know, obvious reason why it is or it isn't based on astronomy. But that led to a question as the conversation went on, is, is it possible there's more life somewhere else in the universe? I can speak to that. 
Because now we're, we're leaving the realm of just science and getting to philosophy and theology. I know something about those things. So we had a great conversation. Well, does the scripture say anything specifically about this? No. I'm not aware of any verse that says there is no other life anywhere in God's created universe. Okay, so is it theoretically possible? Yeah, I have to say it is. But let's talk through the implications of that. Let's talk about what we do know. And of course, one of the questions that comes to mind is, if, if we're it, if this is all there is, sort of, if, if it's just this little planet with life and there's, you know, how many gazillions of galaxies out there that we haven't even discovered yet, it seems kind of odd that we'd be the only place that there'd be life. So I push back on this. Is that odd? What does the scripture tell us that the heavens do? They declare the glory of God. Is it a waste of God's creation for us to look up and realize, man, this thing goes further than we will ever dream of knowing? And Jesus created all of that to make us be in awe of him. And to make us think, on one hand, we're small. That's good. You know, that's what Jordan was talking about. On the other hand, the God of the universe came to this earth to join us in our smallness to redeem us forever at the cost of his life on the cross. That's how much he cares about us. Does that really render all those galaxies meaningless? No. It kind of made me want to study more astronomy to see how much I don't know so I can be more in awe of God. So I don't know definitively the answer to the question, but let's talk about it. So then that led to the question, well, if there was life on another planet, could they be saved? Could, could there, are there humans? Could they be saved? How could they be saved? Would they be inherently sinners? Ah, I don't know. Is there a World Series game on tonight or something we can go spend our time on? No, it was a great discussion. But see, that's my job as dad. To make sure that my kids do not just think about these things abstractly and especially as the world wants them to think. But we got to talk about how this fits in the worldview where Jesus is the center. That's true of movies we watch, books we read, News reports, everything in life, Jesus Christ is Lord of. And he says, fathers, you raise your children to see them all through my lens. This word that's uh, translated discipline, it's the word paideia. It's a pretty, pretty simple word. Even in the scriptures, it's a pretty simple word. It's often translated discipline as it is here. And we think of discipline almost as you know, spanking spoon or time out. But discipline is very similar to another English word, disciple. And there's a reason for that. Part of the discipline is to disciple people, to make them learners so they know things. In the ancient Greek world, this, this word paideia had a huge implication. People write books and books and books. It, it's, it's broader than even what I'm describing here, it's a wholesale enculturation. That's what the word paideia meant. Well, Paul's audience would have known that. 
So these fathers would have heard him say, your job is to make sure your children are entirely enculturated in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've spent a lot of time the last couple of months talking about culture and the enculturation that is coming to us from what we've called, what I've called cultural Marxism, which is a desire to destroy Christianity because they want to destroy Western civilization, and they rightly believe and understand that what holds Western civilization together is Christianity. And I've said to you over and over again, my desire, my goal is not that we preserve Western civilization as though in and of itself is somehow wonderful, but Christianity matters. And if that leads to a better civilization, which it does, then great. But this movement is trying to destroy culture as Christians had built it. Why have they gotten so far? Why have they been so successful? Well, at least one reason is fathers have failed to obey this command. We got to own that. Past generations have failed. Our generation has failed. I was, I was having this conversation with Dan and Eric as we were talking about the sermon. Uh, Many of you know my, my father passed away a couple years ago and you have heard me over the years speak so highly of my dad. I, I often say he's the greatest man I've ever known. And if you ask me why, I can start rattling off the, the reasons why. But this is one area that he could have been better in. He trusted the school systems. He entrusted me to the school systems. Now he grew up he was born in 1922 in a little southern Missouri town. If you've ever seen Little House on the Prairie, I've seen it like in real life, in person. That's the town he grew up in. Uh, some of my relatives didn't have indoor plumbing when I was a kid. I'm serious. Uh, my, my uncle was the horse whisperer. He'd bang two rocks together and the horses would come. And they, it, I've never seen anything like it. And education. He was not an educated man. And he wanted me to be educated, and the school system agreed to educate me, so he was happy for me to go to school. But what he didn't do was sit down with me on a regular basis to make sure what I was learning was connected to Jesus. Now, in God's grace, God did do that in other ways, and the example I saw in life and my dad's teaching and preaching and all of those things, by God's grace, I sort of got it. And by the time I got into college and woke up to what life was really going to be like, I started connecting the dots. But to this degree, he could have been a better father to have made sure that I connected those dots in everything I was studying and everything I was being told back to Jesus. There are a lot of fathers who were like my dad in that. And their kids didn't always connect the dots. That's on us as fathers. We have to take responsibility for this. This has been the consistent testimony through the scripture. Think back to, to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Right there, God tells through Moses, the people of Israel, you dads, 
you're walking along the way, you're laying down, you're getting up, you're watching television, whatever you're doing, you teach them my law. And it wasn't just what we consider the big ones, but it was an all-life view. And then we have this in the New Testament. Think about the book of Proverbs, an entire book of the Bible that is a father writing to a son. Repeat, putting down on parchment what he has said over his children's whole lifetimes that he's repeated and repeated. How many of those Proverbs say the same thing over and over and over again? Repetition is a good pedagogical technique. Solomon knew that, and he wrote it over and over again. He said it over and over again, and they're very practical. You know who did Solomon's children's sex ed? It wasn't the school system. It was Solomon. It's right there in Proverbs and Song of Songs. And economy and productivity and hard work and cleaning your room, it's all there in Proverbs. And observing how the world works and how to pick a wife, Fathers, I'm telling you, if you have single children and you don't talk to them about what to look for in a spouse, you're failing. This is part of education. It's important. Somebody else is going to tell them if you don't. And you're not allowed to delegate these responsibilities. All the way through the scripture, it is assumed, and not only assumed, it is said, fathers, parents, this is our job. Book of Proverbs, Solomon talks a lot about mom's teaching as well. My son, do not forsake your father's teaching or your mother's teaching. If the church can recover this, we can make a difference in this culture. There's a lot of Christian parents in this country. And let's look broader. How about across the world? If Christian parents would take God at his word, we can make a big difference in this world. All right, so that's, that's raising kids. Let me spend a few minutes here as we wrap up honing in on, on other segments. So obviously, you're probably understanding most of what I'm saying in that uh, you know, grammar, school age, the, the junior high, what we used to call junior high, what do you call it now, middle school uh, and high school era. But think about what happens for the 15, 16-year-old through about 25. How much education occurs in those years? A lot. Maybe the basic facts are years behind that, but actually seeking understanding and wisdom, there's a ton of that that happens in that, that age group from 15 to 25. And what is one of the key things that occurs for most people in that age group? College. And again, the system says, we want to take your children away from parents as quickly, as soon as possible and train them on our schools. And then in those years of 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, send them to another system school where we can teach them more things like critical theory, intersectionality, Marxism, secularism, atheism. And we're going to charge you tens, 20, 30, 40, 100,000 dollars to do it. You're going to pay us to teach that to your children. It's a lot. I just encourage you, if you have uh, college age or going to have college age uh, children, do not just default to sending them to college because that's what Americans do. Americans do. 
Besides the debt crushing, they're getting an ideology that is contrary to God's word. If no matter what school your, go, your kids go to, whatever college, university, even if it's a Christian college, university, you still got to have these, these conversations because everyone who's teaching them has a bias. And some of that bias may be good and biblical and some of that bias isn't. You can't just say, well, I trust the teachers all the time. That's your job, your responsibility as parents. All right, let's talk about all of us. Some of you are like, uh, don't have kids or it's way past that for me. We are all learning all the time. You are being educated all the time. People are trying to teach you and persuade you of things. You read books, you listen to podcasts, you watch YouTube videos, you read news articles. It's all over the place. People have an agenda in everything they're communicating to you. What is your responsibility for yourself? Make sure you bring everything under the lordship and the worldview of Jesus Christ. Remember back in the Philippians series earlier this summer, we stressed, we pounded home from Philippians and Romans, think, we're to be thinkers, we're to make time to think, we are to focus on good thinking. God is renewing our minds so we will think well. You can't turn that off for a minute. Because the enemy is after destroying the kingdom of God. And he wants to slip in and make you think, oh, I can finally shut off my mind and just veg out and, and be an escape in this entertainment or something. No, you can't. Everything is trying to educate you. This is hard work. Life is hard. Christian life is hard. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Because I have voices coming at me from every which way, and my job is to step back and say, which of these voices is helping me serve and honor Jesus Christ, and which is not? Or even in this book, there may be parts of this book that are really helpful, and parts I have to discard and say, nope, that's not of Jesus. Because not everybody gets everything right, right? You are being educated. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Everybody trying to educate you. I try to educate you every time I talk. You should scrutinize what you hear from me. You should think about it. Is that what the Bible says? Is that true? Is that what Jesus wants for me? Because I'm a fallible person. I'm a fallen human being. I'm not going to get everything right. And all God's people said, amen. Right? I'm not going to get it right every time. It's your job to make sure you are educated with a Christian worldview. And that means you're thinking about Jesus. And him again, every aspect of life. I know it's overwhelming. How? Who is who's capable of these things? Well, that's why he's given us his word. That's why he's given us his Holy Spirit. That's why he's given us the church. We're to be edifying one another, encouraging one another, teaching one another in song, in preaching, in dialogue, stimulating one another to love and good deeds, all of these things. He will give us what we need. Our part is to make sure our eyes are open 
to what we're being taught. We're not the blank slates that Sophie was 20 years ago. We've learned a ton. We've all learned a ton. Some of it's right, some of it's wrong. We're all in the process. But I want to urge you, as fathers, mothers, and all of us are students, knowledge doesn't stop with the mere facts. It always leads to understanding and wisdom. And we have to be careful to bring it all under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Dwight to come and pray for us.